you know that there is a great God who loves you and sent a son for you. Well, if you've been with us for the last four weeks, we've done a series on worship or worthship. And it kind of strikes me today is Super Bowl Sunday. A day where many give import to that game, that their team. It's significant. They give a lot of energy. Maybe they've even given finances and buying a, a new big screen TV for a Super Bowl party, or whatever. But this is like one of the most significant things in their life, it seems like. In fact, they are worshiping something that is fleeting and falling away. So today, if you're going to watch the Super Bowl and your team does not win, my advice to you is shake it off. Thank you very much. I'll be here all week. When we looked at the import of worshiping God, we talked about engaging the heart, first of all. First of all, with just experiencing His doxology or His glory. The awe of that and giving glory to Him. And then second of all, with our hearts, our dependence upon Him. We are contingent creatures. He made us. He made us for himself. Number three, engaging him in our desire to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And within that, experiencing his dwelling as we worship him personally, as we worship him corporately. The Holy Spirit embodies his, his people and his he is present right now. Second of all, we talked about engaging God in song. I have a song to sing. And talking about how oftentimes music opens our hearts to the truth of who God is in ways that the spoken word does not. It's an amazing thing. It's a spiritual thing. But music in itself is not an end. And the next week we talked about worshiping God in spirit and in truth. God is not the God that we prefer or that we create. But He is the God who has revealed Himself to us, and we need to worship Him as He has revealed Himself to us. And then last week, our brother Jim Cluth uh, brought the word about living a life of worship. How we live is a testimony of our worship to Him and the value we give to Him. But one of the themes that ran through this whole thing, that in our worship, it is not about us. It's about Him. And responding to Him to all that He is. So when we come, this is not about me getting my preferences or having some sort of experience that I desire. That may happen along the way. But to worship Him in spirit and in truth for all that He is and actually find at the end our hearts are indeed full. So this meets the first P of our mission statement, which is pursuing God. Pursuing God. Again, to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the other two P's are preparing people, that is, training them to follow Christ and be equipped to minister Christ. And then the last one is proclaiming Christ. And doing it individually and doing it together. And our, our 
explanation on that is declaring the life-giving message of Jesus to the world. Today we're starting a new series that we call Come and See. Come and See. And that is the purpose of this series, that we might declare the life-giving message of Jesus to the world. So if you've got a friend that needs to hear the gospel, this is an opportunity to bring them here to hear the plain truth about who Jesus is. But it's also equipping. It is a preparing people opportunity. Because we're going to be in the Gospel of John. And if you're familiar with the Gospel of John, John is dropping all sorts of truth bombs all over the place about who Jesus is. If you were here with us a couple weeks ago, we were talking with a woman at the well. And in John 4, Jesus plainly states to that woman, as she says, well, I know the Messiah is coming. And, she, and he says, the one who's talking to you, I'm him. And Jesus is going to tell all sorts of things about himself. John is very plain spoken about who Jesus is. So these are things where we can be equipped to share the truth of God's word with people. Because all of us have a sphere of influence that we're part of. Whether it's our place of work, our place of play, the place of business. And we have an opportunity to declare the excellencies of who our Christ is. And how he meets us. And how he wants to meet us and change us and give us life we don't have in ourselves. So when we talk about that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, what exactly does that mean? Literally means anointed one. And there are many anointed ones in the Old Testament, but this is the ultimate anointed one whom God has chosen as king to reign on his throne. And in the first century, the Jewish people were expecting this Messiah, this Christ to come. But what they were expecting, and what Messiah really looked like, were a little bit different. And God, along the way, raises up a herald. A person to proclaim and say, get ready, he's coming. And he's going to proclaim the purpose of this Messiah, the power of this Messiah, and the person of this Messiah. And we'll see that today. And it'll be in the person of John the Baptist. So let me pray for us, and then we'll dig in and see what he proclaimed and what God would have us be proclaiming to a world that desperately needs to hear about this Christ, about this Messiah. So Lord Jesus... As we've sung already, you are Jesus Messiah. And there is no one like you. You are the ultimate fulfillment of the one who is anointed, the one who is chosen, the one who is to reign on God's throne forever and ever. And so would you open the eyes of our hearts as we look into this word today and worship you today in spirit and in truth of your word. We ask this, Lord Jesus, in your name today, amen and amen. One of the things that's true about pop culture, especially in the music or hip-hop world, is there is a person called the hype man. I don't know if you've ever heard about this, but this person is a significant person in a group, and yet his purpose is not to point to himself. His purpose is to point to 
the lead artist or the lead rapper, and it's to get the audience hyped up, to get them excited, to point to this person. And he calls, he's very out there, he's, he's getting a lot of attention by his style, but his purpose is to proclaim another. Here's where I'm going with this. I think John the Baptist in the first century is Jesus' hype man. He's Jesus' hype man, and he causes quite a spectacle. He is this wild man out in the desert, and he's wearing, he's basically wearing a camel hide, and then a big old leather belt around himself, and he eats locust and honey. I mean, he is this wild child, and half the people think he's a madman, and the other people think he is something from out of this world. But nobody has categories for him. And his message is, repent! Turn back to God! Because he is sending his Messiah. And you need to be ready to respond to him. Because God is bringing his kingdom. Be ready. Be ready. And to the people who thought they had it all figured out, the religious experts, the Pharisees, he calls them, you brood of vipers. Oh. That is not a welcome statement to anybody. But, I mean, these are the guys that thought, said, they were, we got it figured out. He says, you're a bunch of brood of vipers. So he's causing quite a stir, but it's not for himself. He's not doing this to call attention to himself, but for people to get ready. So a delegation of these experts from the, from the Pharisees is sent. And they question him because they need to bring back some sort of biblical categories for who this guy is. And so they say to him in verse 25, Why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, God's ultimate king? If you're not Elijah, who was promised to return before the day of the Lord in the end of Malachi, chapter 4, 5 through 6. Or the prophet, the one who Moses prophesied, who would come and speak the very words of God, just as Moses did, but even more so. And John, with his hype man purpose, says, I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. And he is the one who comes after me, whose straps of, uh, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Saying, guys, whether you know it or not, God's chosen one, his Messiah is among you. And you don't even recognize him. And truthfully, John hasn't recognized him yet. But he knows that God is at work. And he's about to have his own eyes open. So if you get to verse 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John reveals Messiah's purpose. And that is to take away the sin of the world. Again, this is not what the Jewish people are expecting they're expecting a deliverer from Rome, from the Gentiles, to kick them out of the land 
And yeah, okay, forgiveness to take away the sin. Okay, yeah, for the, for the Jewish people, but you know, I think we got that covered because we're, we're returning to the law, right? But take away the sin for the world? These Gentiles and their twisted, perverse idolatry? Yeah. That's what this Messiah has come for. Jesus, what He came to do. To take away the sin of rebellious mankind. Rebellious image bearers. People who have shaken their fist at the living God whether they know that or not. Jew or Gentile, pious or perverted. Because all have fallen short of His glory. Think of all the wonderful things that Jesus did in His ministry. He fed people. He did miracles that no one could do. He showed great compassion upon people. And he taught the Word of God. Yet for all those things, the most important thing that he did was come to take upon himself our just punishment that we deserved for rebelling against God that we might be forgiven. That is the number one thing that he comes to do as Messiah and that people were completely oblivious to. And he's called the Lamb of God because in the sacrificial system. To have your sins taken away, blood was shed. An innocent animal would take your place for your sins. For the sins of fallen image bearers of God. That was how sin was atoned for and you realize that you're standing before a holy God. He's called the Lamb of God because it points back to the deliverance from Egypt in the Exodus. Where God sends His angel of death to bring judgment upon the land. But when He comes to the doorways that are covered with the Passover Lamb, He passes over. And the judgment goes someplace else. He's called the Lamb of God to point back to what happened to Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah 2,000 years before that. Where Abraham is going up to Mount Moriah to offer up Isaac. And God provides a lamb or ram in the thicket to take his place because God provides the lamb. And it is on that same mountain 2,000 years later, the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world will take upon himself our sin, my sin, your sin. That's why he's called that. His purpose, Messiah's purpose, is to sacrifice himself on the cross for our sakes, that our sins might be forgiven. We're not there in John's narrative. This is just Jesus coming on the scene. And truthfully, if you look at the other Gospels, what's taking place is Jesus is actually coming to John to be baptized. Why? Because Jesus had no sin. Jesus comes to be baptized to identify with the sinners whom he would redeem. That's what's going on here. 
And Paul explains this sacrifice in his letter to the Romans in chapter 3, verses 23 through 26. For all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness he, because in His forbearance He had left sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time so as to be just and to be the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. That is God's provision for us. Jesus sheds His blood to cover us that we might be justified before a holy God. But let me say this. This provision is of no good unless it's accompanied by faith. Unless it's accompanied by belief. It's only effective for those who will say, yes, Yes, I have sinned against a holy God. Yes, I have fallen short. And yes, I receive what you have done, Jesus. Because I cannot do it myself. There's no way I can be good enough for a holy God. The positive side of this is we can be forgiven. We can become God's child. We have eternal life and so much more. But let me say there's a negative aspect to rejecting this. Because it is God's only provision. And if we say, no, thanks, I'll take care of this myself, well, you will take care of it yourself. And God's justice will fall upon you. And that justice will be eternal. The Scripture calls it where there's a wailing and gnashing of teeth that goes on forever. It's what we oftentimes call hell. And nobody likes to talk about that. But that's what God is going to bring for those who reject His provision. His gift. And maybe that seems harsh to us, but the truth of the matter is, we have rejected our eternal Creator and His good provision. And there is no other provision. So, the one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son does not have life. It's our choice to respond to Him. But this is the purpose of the Messiah, to take away our sin. And without His sacrifice, all of us in this room stand guilty. Because all of us have fallen short. But with His sacrifice, we stand free. We stand forgiven. And I don't know how each one of you responded to this message. I pray that you already have. I pray that you've already seen God's grace and love, how it has reached out to you graciously, and to rejoice in that. We're going to celebrate that a little bit later in our time of communion. But this is a message also that needs to be taken out to the world, not just stay here in this room. Because people are separated from their Creator because of their sin. And we have the good news how they can be reconciled, how they can become whole, how they can become children of God if they return 
and turn towards God. Jesus is the Lamb of God who does that. Number two, John reveals the Messiah's power. Verse 30, back to John. uh, John says, This is the one I meant when I said, A man comes after me who has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove to remain upon him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the man who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. If you know John's story, especially from the Gospel of Luke, he is full of the Holy Spirit even in the womb of his mother Elizabeth. He is greatly in tune with what God is doing. Yet, until this moment, he does not know He does not know who the Messiah is. But the Holy Spirit comes and reveals as he sees this dove descending from the heavens and resting upon Jesus of Nazareth. It is the Holy Spirit. Then John talks about the kind of baptism he's been charged with and the one that Jesus, the Messiah, will be charged with. Mine is of water. It's an outward sign of responding to a holy God that I want to be cleansed and ready for what the Messiah is going to bring. What He's going to do. But what this Messiah is going to bring is going to be baptize you, immerse you with the Holy Spirit. You see, God's Spirit is the ultimate change agent here. And in this case, to quicken dead souls to life that they may respond. Jesus himself will be talking to a religious expert named Nicodemus, and he tells him this, very truly I tell you that no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again or born from above. God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit comes upon a man a woman, that they might believe in God's Son, God's Messiah, and be spiritually reborn. We don't open our own eyes. God opens them for us. It is a supernatural act. So when you come to faith, you may think you're making a choice, but ultimately it's God's graciousness. He's opening your eyes with His Holy Spirit, revealing who His Son is. And number two, Once our eyes are opened, once we do see Him for who He is, it is His transforming power that comes to live in us, in our broken and feeble flesh, and cause us to be able to live a life we are not able to live on our own power. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. It's what Paul was talking about very practically in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is the power of the Messiah that comes to live in you, to live the life that you cannot live. 
That is part of the gospel. It's not a life of white-knuckling it, of holding on and doing our very best at saying, God, here I am. Come do in me what I cannot do myself through your Holy Spirit. And he does. And he does. Because Jesus is the one who has the Spirit without measure. And again, the good news is we don't have to transform ourselves. We just allow, we just, as we abide in Him and allow Him to change us, allow Him to have His Holy Spirit enable us to live the life we cannot. He is the only one who can do it. You can't do it. I can't do it. It is an act of God to live the Christian life. It is a miracle. But praise God, He's at work. And last of all, John reveals the Messiah's person, the very end of this passage. John 1.34 I have seen and I testify that this is God's Son. Because only God could do these things that we're talking about. To take away our sin and our guilt and to transform us and empower us by His Holy Spirit. Whether John is fully aware of this theologically or not, this is what is being proclaimed. Jesus is the very Son of God. That is, God the Son. As John talks about at the beginning of John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it goes on later on to talk about, in verse 14, how the Word put on flesh and He dwelt among us. Jesus is God in the flesh. He's not just of human origins, but he's of divine origins. He is, yes, a direct descendant of David, but he is, by the power of the Holy Spirit, a direct descendant of God. He is the only, he is the only Son of God. God in the flesh dwelt among us. Now, for most of us, you're kind of going, okay, pastor, tell me something I don't know. Because we've been here, we've talked about these things before. And that might be so. But I tell you, we've got a world out there who thinks Jesus, at best, is a good teacher. And maybe some other things, they don't know what to do with Him. But He is not just a good teacher. He's not just an ethical leader. He's not just an out-of-place Jew. He is the unique Son of God, and He will say that of Himself. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. That is what He proclaims. That is what the Word of God proclaims. And that is what His life, death, and resurrection testify to. And our world needs to know that. He is not just a dead rabbi. He is the Son of God who lives and sits at the right hand of God the Father right now. Right now. So how can we make known the Messiah's purpose? To take this message that Jesus, the Son of God, has come to take away your sins and restore you to your Creator. And change you. Some of that has to be, we're convinced of it in our own hearts. 
but to make that known to a world that desperately needs to be reconciled to its creator. And it's only going to happen by the Messiah's power. By praying for people and His Holy Spirit opening eyes that they can see Him for who He is. Because the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to who Jesus really is. But to trust that the Holy Spirit is the change agent. He opens the eyes of people so they can see that He is the Savior and then He gives us the power to live the life that we cannot live. This is not a self-help program. It is a God-help program. Actually, a God-doing-it program in us. And last of all, to proclaim these things because of His person, who He is. Be convinced that He is indeed the unique Son of God. God in the flesh. As our Redeemer, as our Transformer, and the Messiah who came to save us and make us His own. And who will one day come again. Who will come again. And He will set everything right. He'll bring a new creation, a new earth. He will also bring His perfect justice. And folks, because of this, we can have hope. We can have profound hope. But until then, because we don't know the day or the hour. Will you be his hype man? Will you be his hype woman? Not making much of yourself, but making much of him. And that people will see, what is it about this person and this Jesus that he or she follows that makes him so attractive? Let people know point to Him. Let me pray for us, and then we'll head into this time of communion. Lord Jesus, I thank You that You are the Messiah, that Lamb who took away our sin. And Lord, if there's somebody in here who has not yet put their faith in You, would You open the eyes of their hearts by Your Holy Spirit, that they might see You and respond to You. Indeed, this is your gracious act of love to come for us as we were separated from you because of our sin. So draw someone to yourself today by opening their eyes, their Holy Spirit, and let them see the beauty of who you are. Our Savior, the one who is transforming us, and the one who is God in the flesh, who sits at the right hand of God the Father, and even now is interceding for us. What an amazing thing. And Lord, as we enter into a time now of celebrating your expensive, extravagant sacrifice, Father, as we are amazed that you send your Son to redeem sinful, rebellious image bearers, Help us to marvel in awe of the grace that we have received. So Lord, we're grateful. We're thankful. And we want to respond to you and we want to make you known. We want to proclaim you 
to a world that desperately needs to hear. So use us, use your word, to draw men and women to yourself until you come. Lord Jesus, I ask this in your name. Amen.